0: This, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Kawahara. Today we feature one of our company members, Liz Gottman. She's a proud native Chicagoan, a graduate of Columbia College Chicago, and currently works at Marwin, a free art school for underserved kids in Chicago. Liz and I had a long conversation about her story on Mike. Up front is a small snippet of it. If you're interested in hearing the rest, stay tuned after the story. Did you know the vibe of these people with regards to like how intense they were into drugs before you went?
0: Um, no. I think I just it was mostly because I liked Jaime. Like I liked mm-hmm. this guy and he invited me to this thing, so that's what you do. And because I had jumped to because it was I mean, I was a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. So coming out of middle school and I had to jump from elementary that went up to sixth grade to a middle school for two years and then to a high school, uh, like I knew, you know, you made friends and you found people and you had to go to things. And that was just me trying to like find my group and yeah. high school is such an awkward time to find your group and find your people. And then you pick them and then, you you know, they're there, you know, you're there for four years and, uh,
1: so you're just kind of just scrambling for I was just a doing group, that group and identity and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah.
0: And I found, you know, I have that, that group of friends that I talk about that, you know, at lunch that we would, you know, do homework and that was my, like my freshman group. Those were my age and we're going through the same thing. And right. all of a sudden I was introduced to this, this older group and, you know, they became my, my little group Oh, grouper. let me adjust
1: my personality to that. All of a sudden, yeah. <laughs> and I was
0: always kind of like, I was always kind of grungy and kind of... You know, I mean, I didn't, you know, come from this very clean background, mm-hmm. um, so it was, you know, when you're obsessed with Kurt Cobain and this guy looks just like Kurt Cobain, like, I feel like that's my, that's my oh people, God, that's my imagine. place. If somebody, um, had, if
1: somebody had looked like Kim Deal from the Pixies, for, back, then I might have. Done you the follow same. them anywhere. Follow them off a cliff. It's
0: true. You just, yeah. yeah.
1: Some of us are blind at birth. Some of us are blinded by addiction. Some of us are blinded by science, like Thomas Dolby. And furthermore, some of us are blinded by the doppelganger of our favorite rock star. Recorded live at Pub 626 on October 9th, 2015, let's get in over our heads with Liz Gottman.
0: Snow crunches underfoot as Nina and I cross Ashland in our winter coats, heavy backpacks bouncing with each step. Once across the street, we enter an apartment complex and ring the bell for the basement floor. We stand quiet and cool in the February air. I can hear heavy dance music playing through the door. Someone opens it and I get hit with a musky bitterness. The smell reminds me of my brother. This is his smell. I'd know it anywhere, but it throws me off that I can smell it in this place that I've never been. The room is dark and messy, lined with bottles and clothes and random furniture, a lazy boy in front of a TV that's playing the motorcycle diaries. I hear voices in the kitchen speaking Spanish, then English, then Spanish. Nina leads the way. She is comfortable in this mess, in this dimly lit room with its hazy, soft edges. As the adrenaline wears down, I think about what my friends would be doing right now. I'm 14 and a freshman at Lakeview High School. My friends are at early third period lunch, Will Marie is eating an apple and giggling, Ureli is going over her algebra homework, I'd be eating my free pizza lunch and talking to Tori about all the girls he was in love with, which he would never get unless he stopped trying to look like Eminem. <laughs> Instead, I ditched after homeroom and waited for Nina, a senior I didn't know. This was my first daytime a party that happens during school, where you get there early and then leave when school ends so your parents thought you were in school all day. Though intimidated, I make sure I look like I fit into this new environment. I am in wholly mutilated jeans with neon yellow fishnets underneath, a black t-shirt which I strategically cut at the collar and tied at the waist to to reveal a bit of skin. My hair is dyed black with a streak of bleach blonde right down the front and thick black eyeliner. I follow Nina to the kitchen and I immediately see who I came here for. Jaime. Jaime is a senior. He has shoulder length, blonde hair that he tucks behind his ears and bright, beautiful blue eyes. He has the most addictive smile in the world and looks just like Kurt Cobain. We met in chess club. At the chess table, I would put my hand over my mouth when I made a good move and watch him stare down the pieces and think. Then he would almost always counter perfectly and look back at me like, your turn, what you got? I never knew chess could be so hot. (laughs) He is the first boy that makes electricity spark from my stomach and ooze its way to my fingertips and toes in an addictive, visceral melody. I like him, and he knows it, and he likes me, and I know it. Jaime turns as we approach. He smiles big and wide, switches to English, and says, hi, pretty girl, and gives me a kiss on the cheek. As soon as his lips touch me, electricity. Oh, hey to you, too, says Nina. He says hello and gives her a hug, devouring her in his arms. Nina is tiny. She is tall, but through her tight jeans, you can see hip bones, and her shoulders crouch as they attempt to hold up her black t-shirt. Black and green, short hair sits shaggy on her delicate neck. She's beautiful, but her face is hard and emotionless. She is a gothic statue. I came with Nina, but I don't know Nina. She is a senior like the rest of them, and I've seen her around, but she hangs out with people I don't know and who don't seem interested in befriending any freshmen. Jaime had asked her to help me ditch. Where can I throw my shit, she asks. Jaime references the shoddy gray futon along the wall with the window. Nina adds her backpack and flute case to the mix of coats, sports jackets, and school portfolios. She goes to the kitchen and pours herself a great big plastic cup full of just vodka and sits next to a junior named German. I stay next to Jaime. He introduces me to the guys playing chess and explains how the game is going. I'm settling in, accepting a drink of vodka and Sprite and staring close to Jaime. Chess and a little bit of booze, and being next to him is perfect and comfortable. Just as I feel settled, we hear a bang from the back door of the kitchen. Jaime opens it and is greeted by a bigger guy yelling at him in Spanish. This guy storms in past me, immediately goes to the chess table, swings his backpack from his shoulder, and slams it onto the chessboard, scattering all the pieces. There is an uproar. Smiling through his thick cheeks, he opens his bag and pulls out a literally brick-sized block of white powder wrapped in thick plastic. He leans back on his ankles, opening his arms as he thrusts out his pelvis as if to say, Yeah, motherfuckers, I brought the Coke. The players slap hands in delight. That's Ezekiel. This is his place. Jaime whispers to me. Ezekiel is tall, and every limb of his body is thick. He's older, probably late 20s. Jaime has joined the group of them surrounding the chessboard, now moonlighting as a drug table. They attempt to open the brick. I watch as one of the players grabs the white king from the board and digs the crown into the plastic on an angle, ripping ferociously at it. What do the drugs on the table mean? Would Jaime do any? Would I? I don't understand the Spanish being spoken now too furiously for me to even gather context clues and the smell of my brother is radiating through my head. Cocaine. I know, cocaine. My brother is, at this very moment, serving mandatory time in rehab for drug and alcohol abuse. His drug is cocaine. My mind flashes with memories of his car accident, the police arresting him, lights flashing on the highway where his convertible sat smashed upside down in a ditch, his face, white and speckled in a mosaic of scabs and glass from the windshield still embedded, and his smell when I hugged him as I said goodbye before the giant steel door would close behind him and fluorescent lights would flicker through my tear-filled eyes. In the kitchen, I focus on watching them rip the plastic, which they eventually do thanks to a pocket knife. The boys take turns doing lines. I look at Nina. I pray she wouldn't join them and I wouldn't be the only one not doing it. She hadn't even looked up at it. She sips her vodka and picks at a patch on her jeans. I notice Ezekiel jerk his head toward the back door. Everyone grabs their coats. Jaime offers me his pearl jam hoodie as we step out the back door into the cement square underneath the stairs. As we stand in a circle, I watch as German takes out a Swisher cigar. He begins to methodically roll a blunt, dumping the excess tobacco in a dying flower pot on the concrete ledge. I look over at Jaime. He glances at me, stares, and smiles. I smile back. I feel myself center as I watch him talk to his friend. There is something about how his hair hits his shoulders, how his torso leans against the wall, and how his forearm flexes as he takes a drag from a cigarette. I want to know every little part of him. Nina notices me staring because she looks right at me, unafraid, and says, "Do you like Jaime, huh? And these are the first real words ever spoken to me by her. Um, yeah, he's really awesome. Do you want me to, like, ask him if he, like, likes you or whatever? Sensing the cologne on Jaime's hoodie, I am euphoric in his smell, and as I glance at him across the smirk circle, he smiles at me again, and I smile back. Electricity, yeah, that'd be really cool. <laughs> Nina takes a drag of her Marlboro and says, all right, just wait till we're done here. Excitement erupts in me as the blunt is being passed. Context clues give me all the info I need. You take a drag, inhale, hold it, take another drag, and pass. Easy. I've always wanted to smoke pot. pot is fun, it makes you giggle and eat junk food and relax. There is no danger like cocaine. After I exhale, I really smell the smoke. Oh, I think this is what my brother smells like. The air feels warmer, I feel content and cool, and soon it's time to go in. As we begin to go through the door, Nina calls back to Jaime. Hey, wait with me while I finish this, yeah? Holding up her cigarette. He asks me for his hoodie as I step back into the kitchen. The door slams and I have a little fear shoot through me as the smell of Jaime's cologne fades. I'm alone now. No Nina to look to, no Jaime to be close to, just the room and the music and the people I don't really know scattered around. I go and sit on the gray futon and investigate the stickers on Nina's flute case. I am nervous about Nina's conversation with Jaime. Nina was going to tell him that I liked him and he would come back in walk up to me and kiss me in front of everyone. We would make out. I would feel his lips and know what he tastes like. I would feel his hands on the back of my neck. Electricity. A familiar bang comes from the kitchen. Here it comes, I think. Jaime walks straight toward me, pulls me up and pushes me towards the front door. Faster than I can think, he comes close, opens his mouth, I lean in, and then he says, Nina tried to kiss me why did Nina try to kiss me the electricity has morphed into rage he explains she tries to kiss me and when I tell her no she tells me it's all right because she checked with you and you said it was okay do you not like me panic wrapped in a post blunt haze no I like you I never told her that I don't understand why she would say that oh he says she's probably just fucked up all right cool He pulls my hand up and kisses it softly, and I don't even feel it. What? She's probably just fucked up? What does that mean? Why does that mean anything? He lets go of my hand and walks back into the kitchen. Nina bursts through the kitchen with another cup of vodka, her face red, she storms past me, throws her coat, marches to a corner, and sits, like a child throwing a tantrum. Reaching into her flute case, and she places it on her outstretched legs, she opens the small textured box pulls out a small mirror plate and a tiny bag of coke from underneath the flute. I gaze at her and see scattered underneath her flute, there are straight razors. I expect her to use one of those to make her lines like in movies, but she doesn't. She reaches for a bus card instead. I have to say something. She ruined the moment. She made the electricity die. The pot is making me brave or stupid. I don't know which. I walk past the people lining the walls of the apartment, dancing in corners. There's more than I remembered. I kneel next to her. I don't know what I'm going to say, but as I begin to speak, I stop. Because I realize that if I say anything, I will cry. And I cannot cry in front of her. She looks up at me, eyes burning. I look away to the Coke on her lap. I think about my brother. She snaps. What, bitch, you want to try some? I think, that's it. You're not going to acknowledge what you just did? If I say no, I'm emotional and lame. She will tell everyone I'm lame, and they will tell Jaime and he won't like me anymore. I'm still angry, I'm still hurt, and she is still a bitch, but I have to say yes. I have to prove I'm cool, that it doesn't matter. She makes me two small lines and hands me a rolled up piece of paper. Coke is police lights and addiction, and my brother not coming home and my mom crying in the kitchen. But I lean in, cut my other nostril, and breathe, sharp and fast like I've seen others do it, like I imagine my brother doing. After, I close my eyes, take a second, lean my head up, and open them to see the soft light from the window. My friends are playing basketball in PE right now. I look down from the window at Nina. Her face is less red, and she seems almost like a different person. I lean in for my second line, and before I do, she stops me. Her hands clasp my wrist. She gestures me closer and pulls up her jeans at the button so I can see down them, revealing herself. And down there are so many red, scabbed cuts. They are mixed in with her pubic hair, another mosaic of wounds. Nina whispers, I cut down there so people don't see it. Everything feels like slow motion, and I don't know if it's because of the drugs or the image, but as I look back at her, she doesn't make that fierce eye contact with me like she did before. Her eyes are softer. In that moment, all of my anger is gone, and I just feel sad. Not said for her, just said with her. Unlike my brother, I can't hug her. I can't say, everything will be all right, or you shouldn't do that to yourself because I don't know her. So I stay quiet. After a minute, she looks at me and asks, Can we get out of here? We put on our coats and find Jaime in the kitchen. He kisses my cheek and as we leave, says, See you later, pretty girl. No electricity. Stepping out into the cool air, I inhale deeply and sigh relief. Nina holds my hand as we walk down Ashland. She holds it on the bus. She holds it in my bathroom as I put a cool towel on her forehead. I can't sit with my brother in rehab. I can't hold his hand, but I can hold Nina's. Her hands are warm with blood as we walk and as we sit. And after she leaves, she will never say another word to me.
1: Now here's the rest of my conversation with Liz a long one, but we get deep. Stay tuned. Do you have any stories of how, um, maybe particularly Jaime, how that, how, how that ended up yeah, between yeah. you two?
0: Yeah, yeah. So we dated after that for a while. He uh, asked me out on Valentine's Day.
1: Was that the first inciting incident the Valentine's <coughs> asked? Yes. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, we hadn't done, so like the whole story is about like me getting a kiss with him finally and that whole mm. thing. And that did not happen that day, but it, it, happened on valentine's day um and he asked me out and i was like great and i don't know what that means but we totally made (laughs) out in my basement um and my family like immediately didn't like him i mean if your freshman daughter dates a senior um i don't know they just kind of had this reaction so they used to call him slimy um all the time and he was fine like he would come over for dinner and stuff like that with my family and he wasn't like crazy but um we did it for a while, and then and I went to a couple more daytimes, and we hung out and did everything, and yeah. uh, we did it until prom, and it was his prom, because he was the senior, and he asked me to go, and I said, sure, and I told him, you know, what color do you want me to wear, and he was, like, black. <laughs> uh, so like I soul. picked out this, yeah, so I picked out this, like, black dress, and he got me a black rose to wear on my, you know, the corsage thing. Um... And I was really excited, you know. It was his prom, but like it felt, you know, it's prom. Uh,
1: felt like your prom. It felt like my prom, yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: so I got all ready and all excited, and then he picked me up two hours late uh, in his friend's car with like a honking horn, and I was like, all uh, right. So then I went to the car and got there and got t- to his prom, and uh, he doesn't want to dance or take pictures or do any of that stuff. So we just sit at the table and eat food, and I don't know too many of them you know so because they're all seniors right and uh, so we didn't dance at all and we didn't take pictures and afterwards he's like "Do you want to go to an after party and i said sure so we go to an after party and he winds up telling me to well asking me very politely to hold his coat while he dances with other girls and even I though he
1: refused to dance even with you though he at refused to dance in the prom
0: yeah so i did politely stand and hold his coat um and like you know stood like stewed in it um and then he had his friend take me home he was like hey will you just will you drive her home uh and it was four o'clock in the morning so his friend drove me home and i'm just pissed his friend drove me home and i get in and i write my mom a note and i say hey got in really late please don't wake me up in the morning i had an awful night i'll tell you about it tomorrow Uh um and i she didn't wake me up and i woke up at whatever time and i like told i told her this whole story and it was a good mother daughter like bonding moment. And the next time I saw him was at an award ceremony for sports because I was in softball and he was in soccer. And uh I broke up with him after that. Like I pulled him aside in the hallway and I was like, that was not okay. Like I don't want to do this. And we broke up. And I felt kinda cool cool because I was like a freshman breaking up with a senior. Empowered. Um I felt yeah, I was like sucker. I'm growing um, up. Um yeah. Um and then we wound up dating again when he <laughs> was in college. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> like you do. <clears throat> You know we talk. You do. (laughs) I know. Um, So we talked all summer, and then I was a sophomore, and he was a freshman in college. He was at UIC, and uh, we dated for a little bit. He took me to like a my Chemical Romance concert, and um, and then I broke up with him again. For good. For good. Okay. And then we never dated, and he never talked to me again because he was really pissed off after that. Wow. Um, Wow. So yeah, I've not spoken to him since the second time I broke up with him, Uh, which is which is great. Well, that's. I the think. End. Yeah. I don't know. That's probably. I'm sure he's doing fine. Probably. Some. I best. don't have a Facebook, but I hear he's doing well on Facebook. <laughs> um. So that's great.
1: Um. I found. Uh. Well. Obviously, Nina also very compelling. Yeah. In that story. Um. I feel like, I've I've known people who la- lash out like that, and and but never have they so so quickly shown how mu- how insecure they are. I guess those things are much more clear like when you're in high school, when you're in middle of yeah. high school, like all all you're very much more um basic emotionally and and yeah. you can just peel back your pant leg and you can see the scars. Yeah. <laughs> um so do you know what what happened with her or yeah. like how did you how did you meet her? Like how did that come about?
0: Yeah. So I'm going to do the disclaimer first. So Nina, because you know, second story is, I mean, mostly true stories. So Nina's, sure. um, Nina's actually a blend of two girls of that time, okay, um, who were like the two girls you would see that are always together, mm-hmm. um, like always right next to each other, always this, you know, they're like, like the Simpsons twins. The, yeah, 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 like the yeah. BFFs. Um, and it, they were both there, and all of these things happened. It just felt really important to simplify the story and not sure. make it about two people. So Nina is actually a blend of two and one of them was the girl that tried to kiss Jaime and the other one was the girl who showed me her mm. like down there things. Mm-hmm. Both of them did coke, both of them were drunk, both of them were like, you know, the whole thing. So I really never talked to any of them again.
1: To the one who the one who revealed her scars to you. In the story, it seems like the pain of the moment of being rejected by Jaime is the inciting thing oh, yeah. that makes her do that. Was there an inciting thing that happened between you two that made that made her sh- show you the scars? Yeah, in I real life.
0: Th- yeah, no, I think because she went off and talked to the other girl who tried to kiss Jaime, mm. and they both kind of stewed in that like whatever anger they were doing mm. in. Um, she the, the she I think she, she, she was on her side. Yeah, the other girl's She side. like okay. acted on behalf of right. the other one. Um, and Nina, you know, the one who shows me herself and all of that uh-huh. like she was the most intense one like she was the one that would not talk uh and was like the best she was the one chugging vodka and she was the one with coke always and wow um, so she was that intense person and you know then you act on behalf of a friend and it, the the exact same thing happened i like went to like say something to confront and uh and like that was the response that i was met with and
1: that's super intense it was oh, yeah
0: it was it was all very intense. <sighs> that's um, um,
1: that's almost brave in a really in a really I don't know I don't know what the adjective to describe it, but it's it's brave in a strange way to to like reveal yourself that raw it to is. someone. Maybe it was for shock value. I don't know, but uh, like, yeah, yeah, uh,
0: yeah. And I think I mean. You can see it as whatever you want. I mean, some mm-hmm. people will see this as shock value, and some people will see it as someone trying to cry a- for, help, cry for help. right, yeah. Yeah, like, everyone's going to see it in their own way. I mean, I think she knew that I couldn't help her, you know? So, yeah. like, that's hard to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think it was, like, really a moment of, you know, sharing, and, you know, if you kept this thing, you, like, you couldn't show anybody, and, mm-hmm. you know, you wanted a sense of human connection, or... You just didn't want to keep something a secret anymore. Like, we all have those times where, like, we just want to yeah. say our truth out loud so that yeah. we're saying it out and it loud. It takes so a bunch of
1: blow and a vodka yeah. to, <laughs> like, <laughs> to let it, it out, it. right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and <clears throat> the
0: whole reason she cut, you know, down there was because her parents would check her. She'd cut her arms before, and her <sighs> parents found out, and she would cut in between her toes or her finger. Like, wow. she would cut all these places, and her parents would check, and um it's kind of like it's kind of like, you know like when you do heroin or some kind of like when you inject like people check those places it was the same kind of thing only sure, she cut herself. Sure, sure um so that's where she could because no one would check there mm-hmm. um and that's you know that was her deep that was her most secret place most sacred place for that mm-hmm.
1: um in many ways
0: yeah in a lot of ways um but and i pr- you know she probably wouldn't show it to a boy or anything like right. that so me You know, I did this. I did this thing with her, this like coke thing that I had never done, and I'm sure she knew I never did. And and then, you know, as a, I don't know, act of respect back or act of human relationship back, I get.
1: Um, Yeah, I'm interested in why she chose you as to be her confidant in that moment.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I was also, I mean, I was pretty much besides like. A couple other random few women like i was the only like, girl there oh. uh and she was very shut off and didn't want to talk to anybody and was very like in her own world all the time mm-hmm. um so i have no idea wow. i don't know maybe Intense i mean stuff. yeah and i'm probably i might have been the first person who like if she was scary right like she was terrifying because she just did not give a fuck um, and would like fight
1: fight like violently no
0: but like or just
1: like brooding
0: yeah like brooding like mm. the first per- kind of person where you're just like intimidated to be by because you know whatever you say is not going to make them <laughs> pleased. <laughs> um so i'm probably one of the first people that went up to her and said like or uh, attempted to say like hey what you know what the hell's going on right um so by me doing maybe that no one
1: had a, no one had ever asked yeah, maybe yeah. totally
0: um which is rough, and I know that's true, because she had really close, because we had never spoke after that <laughs> again, and then she had very close, I know she had close connections with a very few people at, you know, Lakeview, mm-hmm. and then she dropped out, I believed. I think she, she dropped out or she graduated, and then she went to rehab, and then she moved away, and I never, like, that was it. That's all I knew. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. And that was her story.
1: And she was the one that you took home and
0: took care oh of yeah. afterwards? Oh yeah. No, yeah. and it was a lot more you know, we held each other's hand the whole way and she had a little bit of a freak out and was paranoid about her parents finding her and was hiding behind bushes and
1: Oh my gosh. You know, she
0: was not easy to that coke paranoia Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um so when we got and then we got into my bathroom and um I like she was even at the point where she was like, Can you give me a flashlight? Can you get me a flashlight? Can you give me a flashlight? And she needed a flashlight to like shine up her nose to make sure that there were no like, I don't know, yeah, like rocks and stuff. Um, So she did that. And that was the one point where I thought I was going to get in trouble because my mom worked and that was the only person who was home. So I had keys for, you know, since sixth grade. Sure. Um, So when I took her home in the middle of the day, she did all that. And we were in my bathroom and I calmed her down and she wound up leaving. And, uh. And then I went to bed. Like, I slept forever. My mom came home and was like, hey, how was your day? And I was like, fine, I'm just really tired. Um, and she was like, why is there a flashlight in the bathroom? Mm. <laughs> I don't I don't know. <laughs> I forgot. Um, I was doing something. Uh, science project something. Science um, <laughs> I don't know. That's funny. Uh, but that was the one, like, panic moment I thought. I was like, oh, shit. Like, I'm going to get in trouble. She's going to know somehow that flashlight in the bathroom equals coke up your nose and like Mom, i don't know moms nose. well she dealt with my brothers so i was like i don't oh, know if they do the same right, thing that's or, right, or you know right?
1: she was maybe seeing parallel yeah lines of behavior or whatever yeah, i was
0: yeah, yeah. yeah uh but that did not happen and i did not get in trouble that's good
1: that's good
0: yes which is great
1: so what parts of yourself do you see i know this has been a long time ago so I'm sure you've changed multitudes I hope since so. since then, yeah. Yeah. H- how do you how do you now when you're when you when you get into a, a situation you're uncomfortable with, perhaps here, and and there's room for growth for you in this situation. Yeah. How would you, how would you deal with that now, as opposed to then when it's just like I'll do everything everybody else does. Yeah. I'll jump off the bridge.
0: <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, I don't know. I feel very adult now. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think one of the things when you're younger is you can't identify that you're uncomfortable or that you're doing things because other people mm. are or that kind of mm-hmm. thing.
1: You're just mim- that you're just mimicking yeah. stuff. Yeah. And
0: now I can, or you don't know how to deal with being uncomfortable. Um, so now at least I know when I'm in and, a, and of course these adult places are a lot different, you know, I'm not going to parties all the time where there there's kilos of Coke. Right. So, sure. Um, I, can like understand that uncomfortability and say like, and sit in it and say, I'm uncomfortable now, or I am this, or I am that and fall back on the stuff that I know makes me comfortable And then leave if I <laughs> want to leave, you know, there's no obligation to stay places even, you know, anymore. Uh, so you can just, go, you can like, you can always just leave and it doesn't actually matter if someone, yeah. there's not the point now where people are going to be mad or Well, certainly talk there's shit a less insu-
1: like a insular bubble of social pressure now yeah. that there is then, of course.
0: Yeah. And so, there's no, yeah, yeah. no one's going to start gossip about you at high school mm. or these, you know, institutions where you're, you know, forced to socialize and all these stories get around and that kind of thing. Right. Like once you're out of that, it's very freeing because you don't have to talk to these people ever again. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, or you can, or you can choose where you you know interact with people. Because I know people that you know still drink a lot or do drugs or right. whatever, and you know you can navigate what environments you want to be in with, with them. them. Yeah, um, and I think that's the biggest thing is you know in that environment, if I wanted to get close to a guy, like I had to go to that party and do that thing, and I was on that, and now I don't feel that at all. You know, sure. I can pick and choose. I can pick and choose, um, which is really important. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel. I think sometimes people. I mean I'm 25. I think some people my age also f- like feel that pressure but in a different sure. way.
1: I've met I, admit, I um, feel like I know plenty of people in their 20s who still feel like they have to right? perform and act a certain way to an extent where it's compromising themselves. Yeah, yeah. and you
0: totally don't. <clears throat> and I think that's been the best realization and it's all about fr- yeah, it all comes from being self-aware and knowing yourself and not being Yeah, just you know, growing, Yeah. being an adult Aww.
1: Where'd we land? School sucks. Yay adult. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> being an adult is much more freeing. Aww. And um, Anything else you'd like to say about the story?
0: Oh, Like a nice through line. I don't have that.
1: What does it mean to you now? When you look back, what does it mean to you mm. now?
0: The story is interesting now, I think, because of part of that self-awareness for me and growing, if you will, um, has been to realize like, my family's addictive nature Mm. um, or certain family members you know addictive nature and becoming aware of that so young and like seeing my brother and seeing other people like act that way for different with different things you know it's not like everyone's a drug addict or anything like that but being able to say like you have the serious potential to become an alcoholic and how do you how do you navigate that how do you
1: are you talking you about know, yourself like, right yeah, now? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I think that awareness followed me through high school. So like, and that's the biggest thing I took away from that moment is like, no, you can't actually drink when you're really upset or you can't actually drink just to f- fit in with people because other people are drinking. Sure. Because drinking is a thing that is serious, you know, and then not all the time. Like we're sitting here having a PBR talking about stories and that's great. You know, there's a point when I think I've caught myself, you know, like i I've, I've had a drink every, you know, every day for the past three weeks. And that's mm-hmm. like a thing for me to notice and identify and then, mm-hmm. you know, notice my family and their trends yeah. and like be aware of. Sure. Um, Definitely. And that's one of those, those things that I think, cause I don't know if parents assume that their kids are aware of it or that they know what's happening and, um, they're every like kids take in so much and oh yeah. like, did you, go to, did
1: you go to Al-Anon?
0: did i go to what, what Alanon. no it's
1: a support group for no no for family members oh, no. of addicts oh god no we yeah. didn't talk about it oh like, that was, that was not talked no, about. no that was not. so a you've had to navigate about. you've had to navigate all of these ideas yourself then and like trace your own patterns of behavior trace patterns of behavior that you're viewing yeah. in other people and then having to apply them to yourselves you didn't yeah. even have a support group well that's intense
0: no it was yeah no it was not fun um but you can you can do it i mean you see situations where you're like i don't want to make someone feel like that i don't want to be like that i don't want to have that be a thing i don't want that to be the way i deal with problems i don't want it yeah. to be all of these things um and then be aware of that and be conscious of your of my actions afterwards and um i've seen you know my brother ever since then i mean my brother's a big part of the story right he had sure. this awful car accident and he went to rehab and he was sober ever since and developed that same awareness and it's great now you know like that's one of the best parts of the story is i can talk about the fact that he went through rehab and has been sober and graduated from college and you know is was working and living this life that he wanted and could live which is like my favorite part of the story you know it's this part of the, There's you the don't healing get to hear. that's where it is that's yeah. where it is that's the healing moment yeah, and because
1: I think this is that but it, because his ghost haunts the story the oh, whole totally. time the whole time so it's like you toying with that stuff and now we're at this point where like you have matured, he's matured too, yeah. and like the bow, there's the bow. Yeah. There you go. Aw, Awesome, it was nice talking to you.
0: <laughs> Great job. Good, thanks.
1: Second Story is supported in part by the Chicago Community Trust, the MacArthur Funds for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. House Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a city arts grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, the Arts and Business Council of Chicago, the Arts Work Fund for Organizational Development, and many generous individuals like you. Liz's story was curated by Nick Ward. She was directed by Julian Stroop, and the sound design was by this meat puppet. I'm Nick Kawahara, and this this is the second
0: Second Story Podcast.